Welcome in uh, to another Hold That Podcast podcast, your number one podcast source for LSU news during the quarantine. Self-appointed. Yes, self-appointed, but that's okay. I mean, I don't know. Nobody, who's going to challenge us, Brody? Uh, We need a beef. We We do need a little little pod beef. Uh, Yeah, it would help get publicity going. It's when you arrive um, one day. One day, hopefully. Uh, but we are hosted, of always, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, go ahead, go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. The best writing uh, sports site out there right now. If you have forgotten what it's like to go to a website with no ads, well, uh, trust me when I say it is absolutely glorious. And by going to athletic.com slash hold that podcast, you get 40% off. It's a great deal. It's super cheap, and it is well Worth it. Um, yeah, so uh, go ahead and sign up. Uh, Brody, what's going on, man? I'm T-Bob Hebert. Uh I host a radio show that you can't tell from this uh, halting intro here. Um, but I host a radio show at Baton Rouge. Brody Miller writes for The Athletic. Brody, how have you been? I'm doing well. You know, I think we're at the, what, the two-month mark of, of quarantining and whatnot. And I mean, you're obviously probably in a different boat here, so maybe you can't relate to this. But... Yeah, you because know, you you obviously just had your second child, and you know you're probably swamped with that, and probably not having many casual drinks. But I, I reached a point last week, and it hit me that I think like the first month of quarantine, I think we even joked about it on the show. It was kind of like this fun thing that like even though it's all bad, but like you know it was kind of fun that you could lean into like, hey, maybe you pour a drink at like a cocktail hour at like four o'clock or something like that. And it was kind of like a little fun, just kind of all right. I'm gonna get buzzed a little bit and like. Yeah. Like one of my favorite things normally is having just like knowing I have nothing to do at night and I can casually drink a little something, something and, and watch like, you know, a, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie or something and just have like a good, you know, introspective night. And I hit a point about last week <laughs> when I know you can judge me, but I hit a point about last week where I realized like casual drinking isn't fun anymore because yeah. it's been just like, and I want to cl- be clear. I'm not like getting drunk any of these nights, but we're at like two months straight of just like, oh, cool, I don't have much to do, and I can have a glass of wine at 6. It's just like, it's not cool anymore, so drinking isn't I fun. I am getting that's drunk every night, and all it's doing is making me get fat. I think I had like three beers when we were recording last week. I'm just getting fatter and fatter and fatter. Um, get back to your playing weight. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, no, I mean, look, I'm, 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 I'm with you, and yes, having a second child has not slowed down. Okay, that was what drinking. I was going to ask, yeah. No, we've been buying – well, especially now because my wife's back in the game, right? The baby's out. Ooh, that's a key um, point, yeah. Now, it's not – and, you know, it's not, like, fully unleashed because no. she's, like, breastfeeding. And so it's, like, one of those things where, like, you have to, like – you know, you have to work around that. But uh, the wine intake has gone up significantly here recently. And it's it, it's nice. But like you said, two months in, it does start to lose – uh, a bit of its luster, un, 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 unfortunately. But but you know what, man? Um, I don't know. Uh, there there's talk that there's like when you look out at the news. Uh, why well, I guess why I say I don't know or why I'm hesitating here is because I don't want to say we are rounding a corner. Uh, but if you look at Louisiana and you look at New Orleans, um, we have done a good job of flattening a curve after a very scary initial spike. 
and places are beginning to open back up, and that's good. I, I, I want Phase place one to starts open up. Friday. Yeah, I want people to be able to go to work. I want people to be employed again, and um, I just hope that we kind of do it while mitigating you know the risk as much as we can and, and i think people are doing that i mean we go to the grocery store everybody has masks on um and, and so i guess part and parcel with all of that is say phase one starting right we're starting to reopen and more and more you're seeing the return of sports start to get momentum behind it uh i've been watching a little korean baseball since i'm up so early in the morning um shout out to the dinos go dinos they're kicking ass this year uh but then the mlb now talking about maybe an 82 game schedule maybe coming back in july the sec starts here. next week oh really i did not even realize that i uh, I, I have not got into korean baseball i don't know why i just really haven't hasn't sucked me in but well guess what baseball is still boring so you know yeah i didn't want to say it i grew up on baseball and i still just have a hard time watching it but Bundesliga star- starts i believe the 17th or 16th and that is going to have my full attention it is going to have my wallet's attention and uh i'm not afraid to admit that all right, so what are the odds on the first Bayern Leverkusen game? You know, I haven't checked in on those yet. I, uh, I wow. was going to wait until the I was going to wait until the day before to do my my deep dive research here. I got to decide what my team's going to be. Am I going to be Let a Dortmund s- guy? They're fun to watch. Am I going to be Bruschka, a- So Bruschka Dortmund is uh, that is since Bundesliga. When, since when do you even know soccer? I'm actually blown away. Right, this is a wait, upset mid podcast. I no, never knew you watched an ounce of soccer. I will I will run circles around you when it comes to fight. I'm glad uh, to hear it. I'm not like getting competitive. I'm just surprised. Put put me and you out there on the pitch and I'll break you down harder than Paul Scholes back with Man U. Um no, I used to um uh FIFA O four made me get very into soccer back in the day. Um I just I, I love I, I loved it. And then really I guess all the FIFA games after that, they just started getting better and better and better. And then um, a couple of my best friends in high school, very good soccer players. Our, our like high school team was very good, so that was my chance to be a fan. So I'd like go and paint my face and like harass the other team, and and uh, and yeah, I mean, no, look, I love soccer. The only thing that has kept me from a consistent Premier League uh, watcher as has kept me from that is that I don't, I just don't have a team. I don't have a team, and I can't find anybody they want to get behind. And then I have found that on Saturday mornings, when I ideally should be watching Premier League in the past, this has changed a little bit now with kids on Saturday morning, maybe just hang out with my daughter. But yeah. in the past, I, that was like my video game time because I didn't mind waking up that early. Up. So I'd be up before my wife, and I wanted to use the TV for other things. So, like, I love soccer. It's, a, it's an incredible game. I will take it. it it's probably my third favorite sport to watch right behind football Agreed. and then basketball and um yeah I'm, I'm a big u.s team guy as well even though uh, obviously what's happened there the last few years has not been good but yeah i can you know i can i can talk my way around a little footy every now and then i know i'm impressed yeah no I, i'm a spurs fan tottenham spurs fan um i tried i i like me and my buddy were like last season we're gonna be tottenham fans and i bailed like two weeks in yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I'm I miss Pochettino, um, but you know it had to end. And uh, I'm not gonna claim. I'm never gonna claim. I'm like a you know diehard, know every nook and cranny, could like break down the 23 year old team and all that stuff kind of guy. Like I miss some matches here and there. It's tough during football season when like Sunday mornings my game film rewatch time and all that yeah. stuff. But but yeah, no, that's my my club. But I want a German team. I gotta find one. I got because obviously I'm not gonna be Bayern Munich. No way. But, 
maybe Dortmund, maybe maybe Schalke is how, how you say it. You know, Schalke, yeah. I don't the know. FC Schalke or whatever. Yeah, like that might be a good one. But I gotta do more research and really Schalke. come to a, a firm decision. I'll update everyone next podcast. Again, um, my favorite Bundesliga team was always just uh, Dortmund because of. Um, I'm trying to remember. Did they have some dudes from the Netherlands on there? Was De Bruyne on there? I can't. I can't remember exactly who it was, but uh, their offense in like FIFA fourteen or fifteen. Well, then they years have Pulisic incredible. from America. Oh, they do. Oh, well, no, they did. That. No, he's on Chelsea now. But I'm saying okay. like that was kind of like I, I started watching them a decent amount because like all right, yeah, best American player, like he's there, but now he's gone. So I'm like, do I stick with him? I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, uh, there's your Bundesliga minute. Um, look yeah. forward to it every week here on the Hold That Podcast. Can't wait to uh, check but, the metrics but, next week. Huh? Dropped off yeah. at the eight-minute mark. Huh? Yeah. That's, <laughs> didn't see that coming. Uh, so, okay. So I bring it up, though, because we got Korean baseball. You mentioned the Bundesliga. Um, baseball's trying to come back in July. And then the SEC's out here talking about, like, look, man. We Oh, and by the way, LSU is back to work. LSU is the first football staff. Coach Joe believes they're the first football staff in America that is back to work full time. They started up last week. You know, it's all legal, full blessing of the president. It's not like behind the scenes stuff. Um, but the SEC has been out there and they've been posturing to say, like, essentially, we don't have to wait on the rest of the country. If, if we just play SEC games and have an SEC championship, we're willing to do that. Um, what's your thoughts when you like, what's your reaction when, when you hear that? I mean, I think my reaction is always I start with the the concept of obviously none of us know what's going to happen, and I just like have to just kind of sometimes suspend what I know because I don't know much, and I have to admit I don't know much. So when I hear people that seem to know what they're doing and know what they're talking about say things kind of confidently, and maybe I'm just I think it's just healthier for me just to be like you know what maybe you know that'd be cool like and I and obviously like I as an SEC writer so first off for my living I need football back, but second off yeah. Just as a, a person who wants sports, yeah, obviously I'm I'm completely excited about that possibility, and I want that very very badly, and and I'm I think just for my own sanity, I I do just kind of suspend all of the logic, all of the the reasons not to, and I'm like, hey man, that would be awesome, and I'm just choosing not to to get contrarian about it and just enjoy it. I don't know about it. what about you. Hey, look at you, Brody, choosing I don't to take do that. An optimistic instead of a cynical. I'm pretty op- I would argue I'm an incredibly optimistic guy. Skeptical approach. I'm 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 very impressed. No, you're a contrarian. So the fact that I'm calling you or the fact that I'm saying that you're normally a pessimist is gonna call cause you to say you're an optimist. If I had said the opposite, <laughs> you would have said the opposite. Uh no, I I, I hope so too. I and, and I feel kind of unfair asking you that because people ask me all the time, like yeah, I've just been seeing neighbors walking around the neighborhood, like, what do you think? Like, are we gonna play football? I'm like, bro, I have no idea. Just like, got I'm off the phone with I, Fauci. I'm glad you asked. Yeah, dude, like I'm reading the same stuff everybody else is. But but the thing I keep going back to is that there are a few like just eternal truths in this life. And one of them is that money talks and money makes <laughs> shit happen, right? And so when you have billions of dollars up for grabs, yeah, I feel pretty confident that um that the, the games are going to be played. I don't know what form it takes, but games will be played. And I think the SEC is trying to really kind of hammer that message home as well. Uh, when, when you look at how they are talking about how they don't have to wait on other conferences, I'm seeing, um, I can't remember who exactly the quote was, but it was some like athletic director, coach, somebody in a position of power, and they were talking about how uh, 
you know, is that students don't necessarily have to be on campus for student athletes to be. So they're already kind of trying to head off some of the potential issues. And that's where something like baseball returning in July becomes uh, huge, I think, for the fall sports is True. they work out a lot of the maybe the, the the unforeseen stuff that can crop up. Like already in these this baseball talk, they're talking about an 82-game season. And look, baseball is going to have their own salary cap bullshit that they're going to argue about like the, the the owners are saying that they want a 50 50 split of the revenue the players are saying well if it's just revenue based that's a cap you have salaries you have to pay us no matter what so like i i don't see that coming up obviously in college football but things like the waivers that these players are signing right like the ufc players that had to sign waiver or the ufc fights where the fighters had to sign waivers that said you know they won't sue if they get corona but more so they won't sue if their family gets corona and so watching baseball navigate these and the nba as they're trying to return as well but i think they're going to be more hesitant but watching these other sports try to navigate those landmines and figure out the best practices will not only be fascinating to watch but i think it'll provide some valuable insight into the fall time and uh, obviously i like you said for personal selfish reasons for my job i hope they return i hope they return for just fun i love football reasons as well uh but then also it's like it's a huge year in south louisiana football the lsu tigers are the defending national champions this is going to be such a fascinating look at where coach o and this staff and this program is in terms of can you sustain success and at what level can you sustain it and then i know this isn't a saints podcast brody but have you seen the new orleans saints home schedule this year it's pretty damn good. It's unbelievable. It's one of the greatest uh, just uh, sadnesses um, that, that that I think I've thought about recently is that I, I just okay I just can't envision seventy thousand plus in the Superdome, right? No, and that is one of the best environments in all of sports. And this year, you have Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes coming to the Superdome. And it, it's a huge bummer that you could have three Hall of Fame on Hall of Fame matchups there that maybe have to play in empty stadiums. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. But it's just, it's, uh, it's man, it's, it's a really good schedule. So I guess the baseline is it's like, okay, you know what? I'm being selfish. If I can't have everything, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down to have a little bit. And just to watch those guys play each other, even if there's nobody in the stands, please let that happen because – Brady doesn't have a time left. Breeze doesn't have a lot of time left. And uh, and I and I gotta see how this all plays out. Oh, so so I, I yeah. don't know. I'm I'm actually I'm feeling pretty hopeful as we sit here Tuesday, May twelfth, about the the baseline aspect of football games being played both in the NFL and in the SEC. No, I think I'm with you. And, and you talked about something, you know, just about how interesting the season would have been and whatnot, about how, and how you don't want to lose that. And and again, like I think you and I are on the same page that this is like the third layer of emotions, right? After the, we want to be clear, we're much more upset about the awful things happening and all that. But but then you get to this point, yeah. it's just a sports fan when you're at that, and you're just like, I think I've just been so frustrated about all the things, just selfishly, that we're what we're losing this year. You know, it's you know, for example, it's 
it's Le- LeBron James was having an MV cal- MVP caliber season at like 36 years old, and this was going to be his his last, may- maybe yeah. his last like real great chance for a title. And we're robbed of like a holy crap, LeBron! Like this would have been the best NBA playoffs in years because everyone Dude, was kind of the Pels even. were about to make a run, bro. Right? The Pels were about to make a run for the A seed. The day I that everything of- went down and everything got canceled, I was sitting there posturing on the radio and talking about how this is the biggest Pelicans game in years. In Sacramento against the Kings. I was hyped. I had my jersey on, whiskey ready. And then they canceled the game like 30 minutes before. And I could have never <sighs> fathomed at the time like where that was all going to go. Just how, how, how deep the cancellations and the unraveling of sports was going to go. You have that, in the, which it would have been the best playoffs in a long time because it actually would have felt like... It's the first time in years where there's no one team where it's like, oh, they're going to roll. It felt like 1 through 16 or at least 1 through, I don't know, 12 like actually had a conceivable chance to go on a run. Yep. Or, that. or then you obviously it would have been a great year for golf. And, and then you get to college football and you can't help but think like this would have been – maybe this is just me in hindsight now missing sports so much. But I can't help but think about how fascinating of a year this was going to be in college football because it's the first time in a while, at least to me, where – Maybe this isn't true, but it just felt like it would have been a pretty open year. You know, you, yeah. you knew Alabama's going to be loaded, but they have a, they're they got to figure out their quarterback situation. And you know, George is pretty talented, but there's all those offensive unknowns. And you knew that Clemson with Trevor Lawrence was going to be pretty pretty damn good, but who knows? They're replacing a lot on defense and offense and whatnot. And Ohio State, and then you got LSU, and it would have been. I actually think just from a covering it point of view, and this is says a lot about me maybe, but I actually felt like this was going to be a more interesting just year to cover from a how things work point of view for LSU than last yeah. year. Now, last well, year was more all, fun. We, we, we all know, Brody, that as a real professional journalist, that anytime too much good stuff happens, no, it's not what I'm saying. You, that makes you feel like you're not actually being a professional. So that's you not. I know like what a, you're saying. I don't mean you, that you part like, of it. <laughs> I do appreciate that you respect that part of me, but no, I don't even mean in that way. Because I, I want to be clear, nothing will ever be more fun to cover than 2019. Like that will yeah, never was be awesome. top. But awesome. I just mean like as like a nerd of sports, I think there's something more fascinating with 2020 of like how do you replace that? How do you fit yeah. all these things together? Switching to a four-three defense, losing Joe Brady, you know, just all those pieces come together there's something more fascinating there so i was so excited about covering that and hopefully we still will but i just think that's like from a purely selfish way it's just sad to think of the things we might be missing because even if we do get it it won't be what we wanted it to be it just won't yeah you're not i mean like the same way i'm lamenting maybe not being able to play tom brady and drew Brees in front of um you know that that awesome stadium you're probably now not going to get lsu v texas uh in in death valley you know 100 because that would be one of the games that would bring out a hundred thousand and not not only that but like as i feel like as this postseason has gone on people's favorite games are actually probably the alabama win and then the texas win i would agree i think like i think like over the sec over the playoff over the natty like everybody keeps reliving that texas win and so yeah there's going to be a lot of juice that week there but uh who knows you know what and we'll never find out we'll never find out what revenge lsu is going to pull over the whole uh you know air conditioning gate scandal they had all these huh. plans about and i know the like the equipment people they weren't treated right there was all these i was fascinated to see what they were going to do to get back at him and we'll never find out well, well maybe the, we the, will you know, like, what if they play the game in Death Valley, right? But there's no crowd, and then they still stick Texas band up, like, at the very top, right? Like, 
<laughs> okay, now I want this to happen just for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be some uh, some excellent pettiness. We're out of room. There. I don't know what to tell you. We wanted to keep you away from them. Social distancing, you know? You, you know what would be kind of fascinating? I was thinking today, if they did do something like 25% occupancy or, you know, some of these other ideas you bandied about, wouldn't it be kind of nice in a weird way to watch a game with that much room to yourself like i know one of the best parts about going live <laughs> is definitely like high-fiving hugging you just like, want a man spread just just getting caught up right in just the emotion with everybody around you but like no lines for concessions free bathrooms you could like straight up lay out bring stuff I, it, it could be maybe, maybe there's i a, wonder what the pricing situation is going to be if that is the hypothetical scenario so like, i say, know right would like, it would it, it quadruple yeah i mean i don't know right because i mean you, you would think this is the defending national champs lsu fans are going to be hungry to go again next year um does is it like just a basic economic supply and demand thing where, where all of a sudden it's like the elite of the elite are the only ones that can go watch LSU and Tiger Stadium. Uh, I mean, I hope that's which might not the be case, some really muted, muted crowds of you know sixty-year-old rich guys. Like, good job, like, sir. <laughs> like Alex Box. Uh, Alex Box. Wow. I say, if you pronounce that X, people get really mad at you. Uh, have you realized that? I'm Wait, sure you have at this point. No, Alex Box. Yeah, never say Alex Box. That's funny. Uh, I had such a weird little I've LSU. Never quirk. been corrected on that. Yeah, I learned that. Which means they're just talking, saying awful things behind my back. (laughs) Like, this fucking dude from Indiana. Um, Okay, so let's get into into some some kind of LSU football talk specifically, some more specific stuff. um, You had the exclusive interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it turns out if your father was best friends with the head coach growing up, uh, it's easy to get him on your radio show. Um, again, nepotism just continues to produce benefits for me. Um, but yeah, we had Coach O on the radio this morning. And, and you know, a lot of the interview was very run-of-the-mill. Um, I, I do take a lot of things at face value. I, I, I think that they love Jabril Cox. I think that Jabril Cox will be a starter. I really think, like, as much as Coach O had success with Dave Aranda, when you listen to him talk about Bo Pelini, it really seems like he was kind of, like, ready to move on a little bit. I don't know if it's just because Pelini's yeah. style fits Ogeron so much better, but but he seems to love him some Bo Pelini right now. But but the only I, thing that I found – well, sorry, could, go, go on. No, I just wanted to say I think there's a ton of truth to that. I think the Ogeron-Aranda relationship is defined by – Ogeron being smart enough to realize that Dave Rand is a really good coach and he has to let him do him. And that was a thing that he had to learn from his old miss years and all that. So he let him and he gave him all that freedom and he didn't really interfere that I know of. But but there's you're absolutely right. that there is It is no doubt in the way Ogeron has talked since the Pliny hire has only confirmed that stylistically he flat out I just don't think loved what Dave Aranda did he wants his defensive lineman being four men aggressively going upfield vertically to get rush the passer he wants two guys up high playing safety you know so that so that guys can get more aggressive at the line of scrimmage he wants that and he sounds more exciting so that's all I wanted to say but you're absolutely right no it's 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 kind of crazy because in 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 how you lay it out there um, if, if you're a pro Ogeron person, like you can interpret that as, or really if you're anybody as him kind of putting his money where his mouth is, cause you're right. He doesn't like that style, but as you said, the lessons that he learned at Ole Miss, he's trying to abide by those and, and he did, and they, they had a lot of success, but now he has Pliny. He loves him some Pliny. It looks like that style's way more in, in line with what, uh, with what he wants to do. But 
the most interesting thing that I think that he talked about today um, was game planning. And because you know, I'm asking, I'm like, so, 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 what are y'all doing here during this quarantine? How are y'all? Um, how? What's the workflow like? Like, what does a day look like? And apparently, they are right now game planning week by week as if it was game week. So like on Mondays, they have all their first down tendencies, second down tendencies, third down tendencies, red zone, et cetera, et cetera. On Tuesday, they're installing. On Wednesday, they're reviewing. On Thursday, it's like, you know, the, the, they're, they're, they're practicing what they expect their core game plan to be. And then on Friday, they're further refining. They are now in May already going week by week. So only one team a week, too. This is not like on a mat. This is like they're, they're, they're paying attention to it like you would in season. They're already establishing their game plan so that when the fall time rolls around, they're going to have that like that base to work with and then even further refine. And I guess the reasons why I find that so fascinating are twofold. First off, it just shows how Coach, Coach O's been very uh, forward-thinking in terms of hiring analysts, looking at analytics, uh, trying to figure out new ways of creating these game plans and doing things. And then I think, uh, I, I think secondly, it just shows the crazy extents that coaches and programs that people are willing to go to, to even get that like one percentage point advantage. I, I, I had never heard of that before. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'd say is them game planning ahead of time that part's not necessarily new i guess since the since the we're well, in what year three of the full analyst staff that that part they have been doing i mean usually like yeah february march that time is when they're doing all the oh game really yeah I, I didn't know that no but still i mean you're still it's still interesting to talk about because you're right and I, I almost would love to ask an analyst like are you almost more ahead now because you have so much free time? And I know they've been working and whatnot, but they're at home and probably have less like day-to-day operation stuff they're doing. So I, I would be curious to know, like, are they even more ahead in that sense because they had more time? But, but yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I thought, and just to build off what he was saying, I mean, I was almost most fascinated by him breaking down the the day-to-day schedule with the players, right? Where it's, you know, I think, what was it? Monday through Wednesday, they go over fundamentals and, and then Thursday, yeah, yeah, th- Thursday and Friday or Tuesday. Okay, no, and Tuesday and Thursday they reinstall the offense and defense, and and how I mean they're pretty much by the time season starts they will have installed it four times, and I find that interesting because you know I did that story you know two weeks ago on on video video director Doug Oquin, and, and you know he was talking, and I asked him like, I mean how tough is that because these players are used to obviously having something installed and then you practice it on a field and. I am, and everyone learns differently. You know, some guys are visual learners and maybe it'll work, but some guys are do it learners and you just, what's the retention like? And you, and I, and he was kind of saying like, yeah, it's going to be tough, but you know, they're engaging with them really well, but to hear that they're installing it four times, I wonder if that is their way of saying, we know that's a problem in the system right now. We know it's going to be hard to really have them learn this. So we're just drilling it over and over again because of quarantine. If so, I think that's, that's actually really fascinating and, and a smart move. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 kind of because football is so copycat sometimes that like Saban Saban led at least in the SEC. Saban was at the forefront of uh, the shadow staff, right? Of hiring like a million analysts, and then everybody else is now copying him, right? And so something gets established as a best practice, everybody copies him. That's what's kind of fascinating about this quarantine, though. 
is it's so new for everybody at the exact same time that there is no established blueprint or established best practice to follow. And so really like every school is just going to make it up as they go along and come full time. We're going to see whose techniques were most effective. Uh, and, and it's going to be, it, it just, it throws such a variability into this season on top of everything that you already talked about, where the sec really is wide open this year. Like, of course you have your favorites, but, 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 but there's still a lot of different arguments that, that can be made for why this team will win the West or why this team will win the East. And then something like this pandemic takes all of that wide openness. It just like expands it even further. So yeah, I, I, I and, and, and it's something like, you know, as, as a former player, you're always trying to draw on your experience and well, you know, well, back in my day we did this. Like I can't even, I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine what, what it's like to try to be a freshman or a sophomore or somebody who's trying to make that jump and your installation, you don't get to get out there on the field to make calls. Your installation consists of you sitting on a zoom call and trying to figure it out trying to figure it out that way and so maybe we won't actually know how that's working out until we get to uh to fall camp but it, it's 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 a situation going on right now that i think will reward uh people who innovate and try to get creative and adapt times with how they're teaching and you know, I think LSU's doing that with the players. One area they seem to definitely be doing that, Brody, is on the recruiting trail. Um, they continue to kind of stack commitments during this uh, dur during this this shutdown. Yeah, I mean, they I think they've landed five in the last three weeks, and I mean, there's a obviously we talked last week in depth about getting Garrett Nussmeyer their quarterback, and they I think it started with JoJo Earl, the you know top 100 receiver. Then you get Landon Jackson, a four star DN, uh, Xavier Carter, a four star edge rusher. Then then yesterday, as you know, they got their their running back and Corey Kiner, which is a Cincinnati guy. Which I think there's so many things you can take from this. One, them going into Ohio and getting you know running back, but two, the fact that they kind of they seem to have a solid. I don't want to give them too much credit, but they seem to have a solid plan for the recruiting process. I think like about two months ago, you saw a big wave of certain schools just like taking every commit. And it's really interesting what's happening right now. And I want to go back, you know, you can almost connect this to what's happening at Tennessee right now. And I remember talking to somebody, I think it was probably late March, and he was saying, one thing we've learned through recruiting was, you know, in the, in the quarantine was basically normally these kids – I think what they're saying, what we learned was that kids really deep down kind of know where they want to go pretty often yeah. by this time. That that they do, but they want to do their visits. They want to do all that stuff, and who can who can blame them? But what they're learning out of all this is that because there's no visits, kids are sitting around, they're bored, and they like we said, they kind of probably already know where they want to go. So they're just they want to commit. They want because right now everyone's bored, so they want to have something that's exciting in their life, right? So it's like they want to commit. <laughs> they want to do their thing and. And I'm not trying to rain on any school's parade, but I just almost, it's just a pure theory. But I wonder, you have so many of these earlier commitments and you have so many guys that maybe just really want to commit somewhere because life is boring. And I wonder if some of these schools with big waves might actually see a huge drop off down the stretch just because of huh. that. Because in LSU, what I'm saying is they might come, they very, very, very well, mel, well may fall victim to that as well. But I kind of doubt it because they're actually going slowly with the process compared to some other schools. They, you know, they, they, they're, they're having a lot of commits lately, but they have not been rushing over this last two months. They've been very much spacing it out and taking their time. 
Yeah, and I guess, and I guess to your point, they it it does seem like they're just kind of cherry picking here or there, right? Like it's fascinating to me. They have ten commits, and you've got three from Texas, two from only Florida, one from Louisiana, one from California, one from Georgia, one from Mississippi, and now one from Ohio. And yeah, you mentioned Brady, one from Louisiana, and it's, and a, it's a punter. punter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like not even a skill position. Like we know Louisiana doesn't make linemen, but. It's just to to me that that spread it does speak to a discretion that the staff is applying right now, but even more than that, I think it speaks to the brand awareness that winning a national championship gives you, right? And I a lot of times last year, I always use the analogy when you're talking about building a college football program, like building a space program, right? And how Alabama is like already like almost on the verge of like terraforming the moon. Like they have established routes back and forth to the moon. LSU wanted to get there. Well, first they had to kind of build out their space program. They had to build the rocket itself. They had to learn how to send people to space and how to land on the moon. And they did a lot of that. Well, Joe Burrow was like some reverse engineer technological breakthrough that kind of accelerated that whole process, right? Like a hyper accelerant. Well, when you look at Coach O, and his recruiting acumen, a season like last year, I think can have a similar effect. Now, you may not be able to see it right now, you know, because whatever what they, I mean, they have, well, actually, they're pretty impressively ranked given the amount of commits they have. They have 10 commits, they're ranked 12th in the country. But, but I think this class is going to finish very strong. And, and this idea that I was thinking about this morning, it's like Cocho was always an, an S-tier, a top-tier recruiter. That's what he was always known for. Well, what happens when you have a guy with that base skill set and then you give him the ability to sell 15 and 0 a national championship brand new facilities and a truly modern offense and that should pay huge dividends uh and i believe that it will as this process continues but it's certainly something that lsu fans are going to want to keep an eye on yeah, I I didn't know where you're gonna go with that spaceship parallel. I'm like, what? It's it's the it's my favorite. It was it was. Like, I, I, I guess, no, I but guess I was gonna my... say I loved it. <laughs> I actually thought it was a really good one. I, I was just like, it's my weekly tradition of every week you start something. And I'm just like, where's he? Joe Burrow. Can he land this? Does he have an engineer? <laughs> Joe Burrow is reverse engineered alien technology. He, yes, he is no. they you 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 found this thing in like the 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 uh well I was gonna say the New Mexican deserts, but I guess you found this thing in like a cave in Ohio and and it's from ancient times and then all of a sudden you know how to run the spread. That's how it works. <laughs> it's science. Absolutely, but I think you're on to something. I think that's a really well put, you know, thing about recruiting and how they had to, you know, build some of these connections and whatnot, because correct me if I'm wrong, but a year ago, I mean I guess it was winter in twenty nineteen, was really the first time we ever saw LSU ever try to really recruit in an area like the DMV or you know it was that whole year was the first time we ever saw them really like go hard at California with not just one yeah. guy but multiple and things like that and yeah they missed on some of them I mean obviously they had some of those receivers back out right and and they had plenty of guys not work out but they brought in a good amount but now you're in a place in 2021 and I think you'll see it pay dividends even more over the coming years I'm not saying they're going to get Caleb Williams out of D.C. I'm not saying they're going to get Tristan Lay out of, out of Virginia as the five-star um, offensive tackle or, or J.C. Latham, the offensive tackle, who I think they're in pretty good position with. And he's from Wisconsin originally. He's at IMG now. But some of these guys, it's just – or Corey Foreman in California, number one player in the country even. you know, They're in the running with all these guys, and those are pipelines that they're just trying to start building. And, and you know, yeah. the fact that they're getting guys from Ohio and they're getting guys from all these places – 
you're right. That that that's something that has to be developed, and it's not going to happen overnight. So I just thought that was a really interesting parallel, and it is interesting that I think there's probably something smart about because that they're they're getting some of these out of state guys first, and then the Louisiana guys. I just don't think they're pressing them right now. I think there's a yeah. lot of reasons for that. I think first off, they're recruiting them. I don't think they're like not giving them attention, but chances are you're going to land. 95% of your real targets in Louisiana if you're LSU, especially the way things are going right now, which is the truth. Yeah. So you have a Mason Smith, who's their five-star defensive tackle, or it's a loaded receiver class like Brian Thomas and uh, and you know, I'm Preston and a bunch of names I'm forgetting. But you, once you want to really press those guys, I feel pretty confident LSU is going to land nine out of ten of them. So you can build up these big-named guys, and then once you start landing all the Louisiana guys, suddenly your class looks really deep. So all I'm saying is I do feel like there is, which is bouncing off what you were saying, and actually a good amount of strategy with how they're playing this right now, and it seems like it's paying dividends. Yeah, and um, it's also the kind of culmination of a life's work for, for a lot of this staff, right? I mean, you look at Bill Bush and his, like, Ohio yeah, and Utah connections. You look at... Ed O and his sojourns to SC and and the California connections that he built up through there and yeah it's just I'm I'm it's it's a very exciting time to be an LSU football fan I think in a lot of uh, in a lot of different facets um, I think pretty I mean I, I think as far as like pure LSU football uh, do you have anything to add for this week? It feels like it's been a pretty slow week. I mean, your Doug O'Quinn article, who would have guessed? But it's been like <laughs> a consistent topic of conversation. Doug finally getting his just due. All it took was a global pandemic and a bit of a dry news cycle to make it happen. But uh, am I am I missing anything from this this last week in LSU football? Well, you know, I mean, one thing I just thought was interesting and, and, you know, I think you and I were discussing it earlier was that interview that went around a little bit of Matt Mock with uh, oh, yes. Yes. and talking about, you know, his relationship with Nick Saban. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I've never seen Matt Mock talk that openly about it. And he was pretty much just he wasn't even ripping Nick Saban, but he was just saying, I'm not I don't really have any relationship with him. I've talked to him like once or twice over the past two decades. And and, you know, he's not exactly somebody I'm going to go get a beer with. And. And and our producer, you know, brought John Hayes brought up a good point. It's like parallel that with with Joe Burrow and Ed Ogeron. And I'm not huh. saying Ed Ogeron's gonna have that relationship with every quarterback. I think it's a very specific situation, but they had this like un this ridiculous bond of two guys betting on each other at like their lowest points and coming together and winning a national title and, and it seems like Ogeron and Brennan have a pretty deep relationship too. It's just like there, it is kind of funny, and I want to be clear. I will never, ever try to insinuate that Ed Ogeron's a better coach than Nick Saban. I, mean, I just don't. I think that's that's silly right now. But but I think that is one area that helps him, and it helps him in a lot of ways, recruiting, controlling the locker room, all these things, is that he does develop those relationships with his guys. Well, you know, there's 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 different ways to – there's different 100%. pathways to success in anything, right? And it's just like like Dabo's style is not Saban style is not nope. Ogeron style. Now, now one thing though is that I, as I have found that all coaches have their guys, and it just seems like Matt Mock just wasn't Saban's guy. Now it is a bit odd to me that even if he's not your guy, that you win a natty together, that there wouldn't be more of a relationship there. But I guess it's just kind of the the personality of uh, of Saban. But, like, I'm sure Ogeron has some players that are starters and have done good things, and maybe he's not, like, you know, he's he's not the 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 biggest fans of, and then there's going to be <laughs> others that maybe you wouldn't think that, that he absolutely loves. But, 
but but regardless, I do think that even even the guys that he doesn't like, I I don't know if it would ever be maybe as I don't know if Tepid's the right word. I think he's always going to be a bit closer than Saban is just because that's his style. Saban is a little more aloof, a little a little tougher, whereas Ogeron's whole. His like base theory of coaching is what well, well, there were a few core tenets. I think one of them was like he wants people to want to come to work, right? The coaches yeah. to enjoy being in the workplace. And then what does he say about the players? He wants to treat them like his kids. In terms I mean, he says that like, a lot like, for sure. Yeah, yeah, like tough love. But but and and you know a lot of things that this man has said he then puts into practice. So I take that at 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 face value. But yeah, I mean, no doubt, dude. Him and Burrow are linked. Forever. I mean, Burrow, they, they, they made each other, right? Ogeron rescued Burrow. Burrow rescued Ogeron. Um, Nick Saban and Matt Mock, I don't know if you can quite say the same thing. <laughs> Mock was really good, uh, and he won a natty. And, I mean, I'll never forget being at the 01 SEC Championship where Rohan Davey goes down and Matt Mock comes in and leads this improbable come back against Tennessee. It was one of my, I think I talked about it when I talked to my grandfather. It's one of my yep. favorite memories with him. Um, but Matt Mock wasn't out there throwing like 60 touchdowns. Like LSU won that natty in 03 because Saban had recruited guys like Marcus Spears and and Michael Clayton and Chad Lavalle and put together this just unreal LSU defense. No, it's true. And yeah, I mean, people just are who they are and it works for them in different ways, like you said. I mean, and I, I, I can't believe Doug O'Quinn's getting this much time on our show, but it almost goes back to <clears throat> that, that that there's a story that I love from the story I wrote about him that basically every single day when Saban got that job, O'Quinn would go up to him every day. They passed about the same space in the hallway and it, like clockwork. And every day he'd say, good morning. And every single day. Nick Saban would just ignore him and O'Quinn's like losing his mind and he's just like this guy's so rude and like he's just like I'm not gonna say it tomorrow I'm not gonna say it and every day he'd say it anyway because he couldn't help himself and then finally one day finally gets up the nerve and he passes Nick Saban he doesn't say good morning and he gets four steps past him and Nick Saban stops turns around and says what's the matter Doug you don't say good morning to people which is just I love that story but it's just like the it's perfect, such like, an asshole just, move, dude. And it's, it is an it encapsulate, asshole move. It encapsulates Saban so perfectly. And all but it also, Saban I think, just encapsulates him because he just operates in his own world and he doesn't really yeah. get caught up in sentimentalities, but he's not blind to them. You know, like, no, he, do, he did, he did clearly part. notice. He <laughs> yes. noticed that O'Quinn said that every day. He knew that, which is where the joke comes from. So, like, he's not blind to it. He just is a robot and it has to be that way. And that's how he operates. And Ogeron probably isn't the cerebral X's and O's mind that Nick Saban is, so his strength is he knows how to get a locker room and a coaching staff to be at their best. He's gotten really good at that. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. he wasn't at first either because his Ole Miss team did not like him. So, you know, you have to learn yeah, those things true. sometimes. So that's all I'd say. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, I would have hated playing for him at Ole Miss. He had, I talked to players during camp, he made them stay in the football ops building and sleep in sleeping bags. Uh, which uh, that's just the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. Sleeping, sleeping back so, technology was not great back then. That is so how, and it's so funny looking now, like how far removed does that seem from the current Ogeron mindset where he's all about like analytics and okay, what are the numbers saying about our players? Do they need more rest uh, to get faster? Like he used to be one of those just like work, 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 and good things will happen. And now he understands that, it's a bit more of a delicate balance, which you wrote about this. I don't think we talked about this. You wrote about a pretty interesting analytic system 
that LSU is uh, thinking about, um, or have they installed it yet? Just just tell the people. It's like the V one hundred two. Blah blah blah. <laughs> tell tell yeah. the people about it. No, yeah, it's the Apollo V two, and and yeah, it's, oh. it's it's a tricky thing to even get that excited to talk about because it's not something that in your face you know it's not like it's not like basketball analytics figuring out the threes are more valuable and it fundamentally changes the way the games play but and this actually is something i wanted to say when you're talking about how i love what you're saying about how it's kind of like a wild west with in quarantine and no one has any precedent for it and it goes back to i'm not i don't know what other teams are doing right i have no idea so i don't know if lsu is doing better but i almost wonder if there's something to the notion that Ed Ogeron is actually best equipped for this because if you ask me his number one strength as a head coach you really aside from recruiting any of that his number one strength is he doesn't think he's the smartest guy in the room so he listens to people around him and that's why maybe this is just a theory I don't really know what teams are doing but maybe he might be best equipped for this because he's going to just listen he's going to listen to what the doctors are saying he's going to listen to what his his sports science staff are saying and come up and what Doug O'Quinn saying and, and come up with solutions instead of just thinking he's the smartest guy in the room or instead of sticking to, here's the way we do things. He might be best equipped. But anyway, that's getting me to something else he's doing, which is pretty much, I mean, else he's always been, this is not an exaggeration. I think LSU is probably one of the two, three, four most advanced teams in college football in terms of sports science and data and all these things. Jack Marucci, Tommy Moffitt, all the work they do. And they've always been really good at data taking in. But but they, what this system's doing, it's developed by this guy, Dave Hancock, who's a fascinating dude. He was a, the head physio at, at, at teams like Man U and Leeds. And he was with the English national team. And then he was the director of performance at New York Knicks. And now he works with like U2 and Kevin Durant, Daniel Craig. Fascinating guy, and he came and he basically learned that you know soccer in all these different teams they were basically working in silos, right? They they yeah. would co- collect data for the strength and conditioning, and they collect data for the medical team, but none of it was really interchangeable, and they couldn't really work together. And they'd have to write these long reports to bring into a meeting to try to explain. And none of it was really that tangible or usable. It was, and that's the number one thing going on in the data world right now is that. Everybody's collecting data. Everyone's talking about data, but it's, someone actually said this to me after I wrote the story. But a smart guy said he's like, everyone's trying to collect data right now, but it's the people who learn how to actually use it that will mm. rule the world. And they're saying, yeah, and it's such a hard thing with this because there's so much information out there. But what this does is it's this fascinating thing that basically takes away those silos and it puts together all the data and it's interchangeable and you don't have to change what you're doing. You plug and play whatever. For example, LSU uses this awesome system called Perch for strength and conditioning and it measures velocity in the weight room and all these things. And it's this really cool data system. They don't have to change what they're doing. That will plug into this Apollo system. And what it does is here's what I'd visualize for you. And this is why it's so cool is imagine Ed Ogeron looking at data a year ago, right? He'd be like, like no coach really knows what they're looking at. That yeah, stuff. Like yeah. Some compl- but imagine now he'll have this thing in front of him that's almost like a video game where it gives you this presentation of like of graphs, right? Where it's like his training percentage is at sixty percent right now, and his his medical health is at eighty percent right now, and his wellness is at forty percent. And then it will give him this is a hypothetical, but it'll give him a, a percentage of that player's injury risk or that 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 player's performance ability right now. And it that's actually crazy. interweaves these things. And that, if it works as well as people say, I mean, that's a game changer. And it will also help you pinpoint what's going wrong. The coolest example was the Nationals. I think I think that was the team they were talking about. Yep, it was. They won the World Series this year. And they kept having arm problems with their pitchers. And they basically learned through all these systems that 
they were basically doing too much warming up time with their pitchers and too much training time with their pitchers, but didn't allow them the time in the medical room, didn't allow them the time in strength and conditioning. It was also just hurting their arm. And they were able to actually pinpoint why these players were falling off and why guys were getting hurt because they actually collected all the data together in one place. And I think that's the best example. And that was a very I mean, long-winded rant, but it's so cool. No, I love that, though. But that, And that right there at the end with the Nationals, that's applicability. Right, that's yeah, exactly. the devil. If you if you can manage to land that, then you can gain a real advantage. So I, I guess like if, if there's a theme of today's talk, I think <laughs> it's that LSU is doing a very good job of trying to be forward thinking. Yeah. And I always go back to that FDR quote where he's running against Hoover and it's during the Great Depression and he's talking about he's like just do something right. Like if you do it and it fails great figure out why it went wrong admit you're wrong and then try something new but for god's sake do something and lsu <laughs> looks like they're trying a lot of different things to figure out how to best navigate these uh these unprecedented times that we live in Ooh, by yeah. the way unprecedented times that's one of the phrases that i want retired i think when when all of this is done that um we're all in this together i'm trying to think about what are some of the other quarantine commercial cliches that we just keep getting slapped over the face with constantly by corporations right now huh it's annoying um all right brody as we go out here perfect place uh let's let's give me give me give me give me a little fun here what's what's something you've been watching during the quarantine that you've been really enjoying Ooh, i like it well okay as i first i started rewatching the wire and oh. then I'm always down with that. But then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll finally watch Treme. You know, like as we were saying, I'm finally mm. in, I'm a New Orleans resident now. And yeah. I've always kind of like, it always seemed like homework to me. And it was never as revered as like the other shows that David Simon wrote. But I decided to give it a chance. And it's just a good hang, man. Like obviously it's a tough watch with the Katrina stuff and like all that. But just the characters and all that like it's a it's a good hang like i just want to hang with all the characters so i'm all in See, on that kind of that that kind of sounds like what i think of as treme and i'm with you it kind of feels like homework like even that pitch even the good hang it's just Ooh, I, I actually I don't know disagree. If that's enough to suck me in See, I, okay i understand what you're saying but i actually feel i thought treme was going to be this like show where like you really gotta like really focus and really just like you know, it's important, it's Katrina and all that stuff, but I, I think it's almost, it takes the parts that we probably all loved about The Wire most, which was, like, the characters and the community and all that. Yeah. And But The Wire obviously had this huge plot over over it, you know, like, drugs and all that. Well, this, I think it has the Katrina rebirth storyline under it, but I think it is almost more the characters and the world and just, like, okay. so I don't think of it as homework because you're just, you can watch and just hang out, and that's cool. You know, you don't have I, to, I, like, I guess I never watched it either since I lived in New Orleans, and anytime you live somewhere that a show's based on, obviously, that's going to, like, give it a little extra juice in your mind because you're like, oh, look, look where they are now. Oh, look, that's cool. Oh, look, I kind of <laughs> But it also, that, that can go both ways, though, life. right? Yeah, can go both true. ways because then you can get the whole thing of like, man, they're trying to write about my city or that thing that happens quite often with New Orleans. And my girlfriend, Claire, actually gets very mad at it. It's like, like people fall too in love with New Orleans and then just kind of have this like corny, blind love of it. And that's like almost <laughs> more obnoxious. So like, but I don't think this does this. I think it actually shows the problem. So anyway, okay, that's my. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, oh, I have one, uh, one, one other quick one. Normal people yeah, yeah, go, on BBC. No, go for it. Go for it. Normal people on BBC. That is my my recommendation. Normal people. It's based huh? on a really famous Sally Rooney book, and it's basically just like 
kind of a basically you'd call it like a millennial love story i guess but really cool we just watched the first episode last night and it's like apparently the most talked about show right now so that's my other recommendation um one that i don't think quite caught on like maybe people are expecting that i absolutely ended up loving i finally finished devs have you watched devs alex i'm we literally have audio proof of like two months ago or no, it was in back when we were in the studio, me saying, dude, if you like Alex Garland, you'll like Dev. And you're like, Oh, maybe I'll check it out. Oh, I didn't. Okay. I didn't realize I'd be having one there, but it was only like one or two episodes in at that point. Right. It's true. It's a hundred percent. Okay. So uh, what, how I did it is I was watching weekly and I got to five and I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I That's actually fell off. Okay, exactly. And did you fall off after five? Did you stop? I there? think around the six, seven episode mark, I just started having moments where I'm like, "This might be, you know, one of you and I love using the expression like this is just TV nonsense." Sometimes, yeah, I, I got there, but I think okay, so I, I I'm happy with felt the that. So yeah. I kind of felt that at five, and then and I've talked to multiple people that for whatever reason, like they fall off at that same point. Yep. But I thought six, seven, and eight were spectacular. I really enjoyed them again the alex alex garland what the best thing that i can say about alex garland is that he takes just like it's just a tv show but i always leave whatever i watch from him asking like 80 questions. super yeah. philosophical <laughs> questions like, like i go to bed thinking about like the, just just the 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 like after annihilation i was thinking about yeah. like the origins of life and the existence of life and and god and and after ex machina you know what determines life and ai and everything and then after devs it's all this like this idea of determinism or you know the multiverse theory things that i'm already into it just it makes my brain spin and i find it so immensely satisfying um no i think i think you nailed how i feel which is completely agree by the way annihilation was on my mind for weeks and i think he is the master of that he's the master at the i mean he's in his background he was a novelist first and then he was a screenwriter and then he started making movies so like he's really good at thematic things right you know that's that's his specialty so i think all the like, all these things you said you're right devs nailed the parts of making me think and it nailed the parts of these big kind of emotional mind-bending thoughts that uh, you'll carry with you for long after you watch the show and i think he nailed that with devs what i don't think he nailed in like a, what was it 10 episodes or nine eight episodes i think it was only eight, eight episodes yeah yeah i just thought there was a lot of plot nonsense so mm -hmm. i leave that show thinking wow okay overall i think it's a good show i'd recommend it to anybody i think he nailed a lot of really cool things but i just thought there were so many moments in that show where i'm like this makes no sense and it's plot nonsense because he which, if I had to speculate, he's probably more interested in those big arcing themes than he is in making this make real sense. There were, so I, like, a couple storylines that just kind of completely disappeared. Like, why uh, did she go <laughs> to his house that one day? Like, that was the dumbest 20... I mean, it was a really cool conversation. The stuff it was, in it was a great cool, conversation, though, bro. But the, the 30 pen, minutes of... It was like, why everything. in the world would she... Like, why is that in any rational scenario the right... Just, like, the decision they'd settle on? Uh, just a lot of dumb plot nonsense. A lot of the characters were, like, eye-roll-worthy, but... I loved how it made me feel. So I'm, I'm with you. Um, and then I, I would say the complete opposite of that. Um, I've been watching <laughs> Prop Culture on Disney Ooh. Plus, which is uh, it's like one of those like History Channel shows or like a, yeah. like a comic book men type show where 
it's a reality show, but you can tell that these like lines that are supposed to be off the cuff are clearly like, you know, they're like planned out. Like they talk before yeah. and then they like do the scene. But it's it's just an avenue for for cool stories. And so all this is is this this huge prop collector goes around looking at old props from like the first episode's all about Mary Poppins and they have an episode all about Tron and it's just uh it's just talking about those props and, and the stories behind them and getting with old actors. And, and I just love anything behind the scenes. So that's been fascinating. And then kind of that same vein, Gallery on Disney+, Plus. The, the, the directors of Mandalorian sitting down and talking about Mandalorian is awesome. Also, what a crew Jon Favreau put together for The Mandalorian, right? You got Dave Filoni, who's a Star Wars mastermind directing episodes. You got uh, Rick Fukuyama, who directed yeah. Dope. He's great. You got Deborah Chow. I actually don't know Deborah Chow's resume outside of this, but she may have done the best two Mandalorian episodes they were. And then you even got like Bryce Dallas Howard up there, like Ron Howard's daughter. You got Taika Waititi. It's I was going to say, you left out Taika. Well, it's just such a diverse collection of people. And seeing them all sit down and talk about Star Wars is a dream come true for my nerdy Star Wars heart, right. and I can't wait to, to see where it goes. And I mean, like, if nothing else, you want to see that group talk to each other, right? Like, yeah. how could you not? Like, those are all incredible creators in their own right that have now come together to work on this common thing. And um, and then yeah, shout out to my guy Taika, dude. You, you heard that he's going to write and direct a new yep. Star Wars movie all himself. So all I like on. what they're doing. I, it should be a lot better than Rise of Skywalker, hopefully. Um, Man, I've become that actually. jaded. I've become that jaded Star Wars person that I used to hate so much. It's so sad. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, not fully. I still love it. All right, though. Everybody have a great day. It's been the Hold That Podcast podcast. Everyone, stay safe out there. Uh, we love you. Go to theathletic.com/slash hold that podcast. Sign up. Forty percent off. Spread the word. Share the podcast with your friends if you enjoy it. Um, he is Brody Miller. I am T. Bob Abear, and we will be back with you next week.